Okay, we are in Romans 12. We're going to take a look at the whole chapter today. And, it, and even as you're finding that, let me, let me tell you, I, Kelly and I had the opportunity to go to Europe. Um, we were in Normandy. We went to Utah and, and uh, Omaha Beach. I saw where my dad came ashore on D-Day. It was a pretty awesome sight. And uh, a lot of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. Maybe you've seen a documentary. Maybe you've seen a, a war movie about the D-Day invasion. And, you know, the, it, it's always kind of focused on the Navy and the infantry, and all these boats are pulling up to the, to the beach, and they're emptying all these men out, and they're storming the, jeep, the, uh, the beach, and uh, it was quite a victory. It was a turning point of the war, and it would be easy to look at those men that made that sacrifice. A lot of them lost their lives. Um, they were committed. They were dedicated. Uh, a lot of them got injured. It would be easy to think that they were the ones that won the war, but there's a lesson to be learned behind the D-Day invasion. And it's the same lesson that Paul is teaching in this passage we're looking at today. So this passage holds the foundation for that, that phrase that we've been using since November, better together, why we're better together. And so we're going to use this, we're going to look at it closely, and I'm going to give you the scriptural justification for the fact that we are better together. And we're going to use this to launch into a month-long time that we are going to spend together uh, in prayer, uh, fasting, and vision. I'll get a chance to explain all that to you as we go through the morning this morning. We should be done here by 4 o'clock. Okay? So what we see in the passage is there, there are two vital messages that apply to every believer in this passage in Romans. Um, one of them is uh, what we are to do, uh, and that's in verses 1 and 2. It's just right there in the introduction. And then Paul, true to form, tells us how to do what we are to do in verses 3 through 21. So let's just start by looking at what we as believers are called to do. Uh, we are called to offer one thing and to avoid another. So here's what we are to offer as, as participation in the body as being part of the church, as being called to be a believer and having received the grace of God, we are to offer a bodily dedication, a physical commitment to the work of the gospel, to the presence of the church in the world. And this starts with verse 1, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, he calls us to make a commitment, to commit our lives, our, our treasure, uh, our, our physical work and efforts to the call of the church. And the reason that he calls us to do that is because we have received God's mercy. We have received God's grace. So, God didn't save us just to make us better people. He saved us to make us part of the body of Christ. And in return, in our gratefulness for the grace that we received, the mercy that we re received, yeah, our, in, in return for the new lives we have, the regeneration that we have experienced, we are to make a commitment back to God. It's a, it's a, a show of gratitude. 
And, and the result of that commitment, if we follow through on it, watch this, the result of that is that God is pleased. It's an act of worship. Our commitment to the church is an act of worship. Now, we, we don't always look at acts of worship that way. I, I mean, there are a lot of people in the church today, the overall church today, that think that that song part of the service is our worship, and now we're listening to the teaching. Well, everything we do in commitment to the church, everything we do as an expression of thanks to our Father in heaven is an act of worship. That is a sweet aroma unto the Lord. That pleases the Lord. So we are blessed in the fact that as we move together as a church, uh, we bless him, and then he blesses us. So what we're called to do is we're, we're called to to commit ourselves, and do that as an act of worship. Now, the result is God is pleased. But we're also told to avoid something. And that starts in verse 2. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what Paul's telling us here, make this commitment, do this act of worship, don't allow what you're doing to be tainted by the world. Don't be distracted by what the world has to offer. Don't be taken off the path by the, the oppression or perhaps the opposition that the world has. So we are called to be a royal priesthood. We're called to be a holy nation. And we're called to pursue holiness. Now, we're not going to reach it, we're not going to perfect it, but somewhere deep down inside, there has to be a desire in us to be holy and towards God, which means that there has to be deep down inside a hesitation and a rejection of the pleasures that the world has. And it's not just the pleasures that the world has, it's the priorities the world has. How many of you have heard, first comes family, then comes church? How many of you have heard, well, my job's the most important thing. If I don't have a job, I don't have a roof over my head. How many of you have heard, well, God's the most important thing? I, I mean, you, you might hear it in a church like this today, but you're not going to hear it uh, wholesale in the entire church. We get our priorities messed up, and what Paul is trying to say here is make sure that your highest priority is God, and if your highest priority is God, that's going to manifest itself in your commitment to his body. That'll be what you say to the world where your priority is. So we offer up ourselves, we strive to keep ourselves holy. And the reason we do that is because it puts on display our transformation. So it, it's God working in us, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working through our commitment, through our pursuit of holiness to show the world that we are transformed, that we are changed, and that we are being changed. And as we witness that change to the world, then the world around us understands that they can be changed too. The same redemption that we experience, they can experience. So God's got meaning and purpose to all of this. Ultimately, it brings glory to him. Our transformation points towards Jesus Christ, points towards the sacrifice that he made. But as it all works together, the church begins to come together as one organic whole. 
Okay. I like that. You like that? We want that, don't we? We want to pursue holiness. We want to eschew uh, the, the uh, temptations that the world has to offer. We want to put our, our uh, transformation on display. And you know Paul by now. We've been spending a lot of time in his writings. Paul doesn't just put it out there. He doesn't just say, hey, go do this. You know, suck it up and, and be, be this and be that. He also tells us how. Well, that's what he does here in verses 3 through 21. So how are we going to do this? Well, first off, we need to have some grace. We need to exhibit grace. And we need to exhibit some humility. In verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, he says, by the grace that God has given to me, I say this by the impact the grace has given to me. I say this by the transformation that God has put me through. I, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul's trying to say is, as we go through this process of committing and putting on uh, display our transformation, that we need to do some self-examination. We need to look closely at ourselves. And, and Paul gives us the caution not to think more of ourselves than we ought. Now, we need to think about this because it's very easy to think that what this is telling us is don't be too proud of yourself. But you know what? By and large, we can split into two different groups. There are those of us who think too much of ourselves and those of us who think too little of ourselves. Isn't that true? Well, I could never do that. I'm not, I can't, oh, oh, well, I'm really fantastic at that, and so on and so forth. And so, so, and, and so what, what, what we need to hear here is don't think too much of yourself. <laughs> don't focus on yourself. The reason the church comes together, the reason we have an assembly on Sunday mornings is not to see what we're getting out of the church, but to be a reflection of God and Jesus Christ to the world. The focus of the church is to be God, not us. And i got to tell you something. This is a little bit of a countercultural idea. We've talked about this a number of times. Every church in town has its menu, doesn't it? We've got ours. And we say, hey, look at our menu. Maybe we got what you like. Come on in and visit us some Sunday, and if you like us enough, maybe you'll stay. I mean, we've been trained to do that. Go, I'm church shopping. I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm picking a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, you know, we all know some people that don't go to any church, they just go to every church. Well, I'm over here for this, and I'm over here for that. And so, so, and so we have learned that the church is about us. We've learned that the church is here to serve us. And if we don't get served the way we expect the church to serve us, we just go look for another church. What do we do about that? Is a church focused on God or is it focused on us? That's a question that as we examine ourselves and try to determine whether or not we're thinking too much of ourselves if our focus is on God. 
if our focus is on what's happening in the body of Christ rather than what's happening on me. Now, now listen, we, we, this is more prevalent than most of us think. I was talking to somebody in town, and they said, well, do you get your worship on on Sunday morning? I went, I don't know what that means. He said, I'm talking about, do, do, you, do you get down on Sunday morning? I said, now I knew what he meant. <laughs> but I said, I'm not, I, I, I don't think you're being clear to me. What, what are you talking about? So I want to know, do you get your worship on? I mean, do, do, are you having fun on Sunday morning? And I said, uh, is that the goal? Are we here to have fun or are we here to worship our Father in heaven? I don't want to make church into a serious thing. It's not somber. There should be joy. There should be, there should be an exhilaration. There should be a holy anticipation when we come together. But brothers and sisters, we're not here to get our worship on. We're not here to get warm fuzzies and the hair standing up on the back of our head and go, that was fantastic. I can hardly wait till we get there next week. And do the same thing. We are here to be nourished and edified and healed and strengthened and patched up and sent out into a lost and lonely world that needs the answers that we have. And our focus is not on what we get out of church. It's what we bring to church. See, that's what this passage is about. We should all be looking at each other when we walk out this door today and go, what did you leave here? What did you bring? But we don't live in that culture, do we? We live in a consumer culture. The church is about God. It's not about us. Now, once, once we get the focus off ourselves, and on to God, then we can begin to explore what our gifts are. Now, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not real big on identifying your spiritual gift. I don't know what it is. I don't think there's any survey that's going to tell you what it is. I don't think we can do a class that will graph all this out and tell you what you should be doing. But I think deep down inside, you know what your gift is. If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, if if God has regenerated you, if he now indwells you, I think you've been given something unique, some capability that perhaps you didn't have before, perhaps you did have it before, only God's going to use it in a different way right now. But we all have gifts. So the focus goes off God, it goes on us, and say, well, what did I bring? What do I bring to this service? What do I bring to this church? So we should understand we all have gifts. Now this is in verses 4 through 8. And Paul uses the human body as an illustration of what he's talking about. He says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, praise God. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now here's what Paul is saying. He uses the human body because it's something we could understand. What Paul is saying is that every individual in the church is vitally important to the function of the body. 
every person that God brings into the church, that God regenerates, is there for a reason. Has been given a specific gift to use for the edification and nourishment of the body and for the proclamation of the gospel. So what that means is that if you are saved this morning, if you recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are absolutely vital to the function of the body of Christ. Now, as I was pondering this this weekend, I'm thinking, Lord, give me an illustration. And sometimes you've got to be very careful what you ask for. <laughs> uh, because I, I have a, a big toe. Any of you guys have a big toe? Okay. You don't think about your big toe very much, do you? I mean, it's there. I, I'm not totally aware of it. Uh, and every now and then, weird thoughts will go through my mind. What if I didn't have a big toe? Well, I think I could get by pretty well without it. Okay? So as I'm wondering about illustrations for the sermon yesterday, I noticed that my big toe hurts. And as the day progressed... It got worse and worse and worse. By the time we hit 8 o'clock last night, it, it, it was on fire. And, and uh, now I'm trying to go to bed because I've, I've got a long day today. And I, I can't sleep because every movement I make, my toe is just screaming at me. I get up at 1.30 a.m., what is going on? I'm on WebMD and you know you, how you self-diagnose these things and you're always wrong. And WebMD says you have gout. Now, I went through this uh, a little while back, and Gina Phelps helped me. Um, my doctors thought I had arthritis. And Gina did a bunch of tests, and she said, you've got gout. You don't have arthritis. And I looked at Gina. I said, gout's for old people. And she just raised her eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had a gout flare-up last night centered on my big toe. And I've got to tell you something. As, as, uh, as little as I thought the big toe influenced me, last night it ruled my world. <laughs> okay? See, that's us, brothers and sisters. We're all a vital part. If you think that you're not a vital part of the church, but you understand that you're part, part of the body of Christ, think about being without one of your parts. <laughs> Think about having something amputated and see if that doesn't affect how you live your life. That's how we work together. That's why God gives us this image of a body. Because each one of us is vitally important to how the body functions. There are no people that are less important than the others. So Paul's saying every, every gift is important, every person is important. Then he goes on to identify some of the gifts, verse 6 and 8, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there, there are seven here. Uh, it's not exhaustive. If we were to go through Scripture and look at all the spiritual gifts, we'd end up with a list of about 21 or 22, depending on how you read it. 
Uh, but none of them are meant to be an exhaustive list. But I think this list here is cumulative. I, I think it covers most of the gifts that we have. Uh, so he says in prophesying, he's talking about those who preach, uh, those who counsel using the Bible. In serving, verse 12, 7a, how we serve each other. In teaching, how we equip each other. In encouraging, encouraging is a gift. And if, if you didn't look at encouragement as a gift, just think about the last time you got encouraged and think about how it lifted your spirits and was a blessing to you. In giving, uh, giving is a gift, brothers and sisters. So uh, we don't always look at that way, but I'll tell you something. Somebody who's gifted with the gift of giving understands that gift. Amen? Those of you that have it, okay? In leading and in showing kindness. What a gift. Showing kindness. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can just be kind to somebody and demonstrate a gift of the Spirit? You take a look at that list of gifts and we see the character and nature of God beginning to rise up within the church through the gifts that he's given. Okay, well, we've got these great gifts and right now everybody's thinking about what theirs is, amen? What do we do with them? How do we, how do we employ these gifts? Well, yeah, again, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And when Paul uses the word brotherly, he's talking about brothers and sisters. It's all inclusive. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you look at that passage carefully, you'll see that it covers two types of people. Those who are our friends, those who are close to us, and those who are our enemies. So God has given us these spiritual gifts so that we, as a body, can minister to everyone. Those who are close and those who are enemies. Have you ever thought about your spiritual gift being used to minister to your enemy?
know, we're pretty good as a body. We're pretty good at, at exhibiting our gifts towards each other. But we don't always think outside the box, do we? I don't. It's a little bit of a challenge for me. But be kind to my enemies. <laughs> Honor and respect them. Boy, I'll tell you something. You take one look at the political scene today and you'll see anything but that. And they're not even our enemies. I know somebody's going, oh, yes, they are. <laughs> Be kind to the Muslims. Respect and honor the immigrants. <laughs> the gifts are given to the church so that the church can minister to everybody. You divide it up, friends and enemies. How we deal with our friends, we love and honor them. Okay, that's good. I like loving and honoring my friends. We show them our zeal and our joy. We show them our passion for our faith, our, our joy and our happiness at being saved together with them, at being one with them. We share with them. When they have need, we, we share with them. When we have need, they share with us. We mourn and we weep with them. So we take joy in their successes, but we grieve in their grief. And we live in harmony with them. Now, I like that. That kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? But this applies to the body of Christ. It's not just us. So every other church out there that professes the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are to live in harmony with. That doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that we're going to join them in, in their service next morning. It doesn't mean that we're going to go to them for counsel. But it does mean that we don't judge. We don't condemn. We don't cut down. We don't think that we're better. We don't think that they're worse. We live in harmony with them. See, they're part of the body too. They're a vital part of the body of Christ as well. And they are just as necessary as we are, just as each one of us is necessary. Well, now we're starting to get a little uncomfortable, and we haven't even gotten to the enemies yet. Look what it says about our enemies here. Bless them when they persecute you. Now, I, let's walk this through for just a second. Why in the world would I want to bless somebody who is persecuting me? And we're talking about intense persecution here. We're talking about the type of persecution that the church uh, experiences in the latter half of the first century. Where Nero's coming through and he's crucifying everybody and killing them and torturing them and so on and so forth. So why bless them when they persecute? I'll tell you why. We are supposed to bless those who persecute us because they see something in us that makes them uncomfortable. They see the testimony of Jesus Christ and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us to such a degree that those people who reject Jesus Christ get angry at us. And so we bless them and we praise God because God, your power is going through me. Your witness and your testimony is in me. And the world can see it. Look, here's the proof. These people are mad. So it's not just, it's not just bite your lip and, and be nice to them. It's bless them because God has made himself evident in and through us. 
And rather than fight them, rather than oppose them, rather than form a march or, or make a sign or put a nasty comment on Facebook or respond to some article we've seen, it says, let God repay them for the evil done to you. The, the retribution is in God's hands. And the reason the retribution is in God's hands is because our job to demonstrate love. We demonstrate love. They have no excuse when they stand before God on that day of judgment when God says, didn't you see my son in these people here? Indeed, we give them food when they're hungry, water when they're thirsty. In short, whether they're friend or foe, we're called to act like Christ to them. We're called to, to I, I, you know, the worst thing that ever happened was these, what would Jesus do, bracelets? Because that, that became a cliche and a joke, didn't it? But it's one of the guiding points of our life. What would Jesus do? When I'm upset, what would Jesus do? When I've been offended, what would Jesus do? When the rage is rising up inside me, I feel like I've got to lash back out. I need to affirm myself. I need to avenge myself. What would Jesus do? He would allow them to nail him to the cross. While he's bleeding out, he would look down and say, Lord, forgive him. So those, those are our two messages written to, to every believer, each one of us. What are we to do? We're to offer ourselves up as a sacrifice pleasing to God. How are we going to do it? We're going to be like Christ in all of our relationships. Now, this is not necessarily a message written to individuals. I mean, it, in a way it is, but it, it's written to the church. It's written to the body of Christ. Now, the body's made up of individuals. It's made up of you and me. So it does reach into our heart. But there's a subtle shift, and, and th this is kind of the beginning of Paul's development of his own theology as he begins walking through what the resurrection means, what the crucifixion means, and, and all that. And he's beginning to see that he himself is part of something much larger. And he wants his readers to begin thinking about the body of Christ, not just themselves. That's why that's that shift in focus that occurs early in the passage. So it's written to each one of us, but it's written to help us express our union as a body, as a community. And what Paul is saying is it takes every one of us in the community for this to work. Okay? What does that mean to Warrington Bible Fellowship? How do, we, how do we walk this out? We understand the principles. We get it. How do we walk this out? Well, the first thing we need to understand is, number one, we're that body. <laughs> we, we are all members of that body. We know what we're to do. And the, the question is going to be, is how, how, how do we do it? How do we live this on the other side of that door? What does it look like when we walk out of here today? Well, we're going to do it by working together. Every individual, every ministry pulling in the same direction. 
Now, I had a question asked to me a couple weeks ago. It was a valid question. It, it's something that, that is on my mind and, and uh, on my heart and has been there for a long time. It's been there with the elders as well. We don't articulate it very often. And, and so it would be easy to assume that everybody knows it, but that, that's, that's not a good assumption. And, and the question was, how do all the ministries work together? Well, they do. And, and they do it on purpose. And we have a long list of ministries here. When, when I became senior pastor in 2005, we began to ask ourselves questions like, who are we and what are we here for? And once we began to answer those questions, we looked, took a close look at what we were doing, every one of our ministries, and said, is this in harmony with who we are and what we're doing? And the answer was no. And we had to excise a number of ministries that were very precious to a number of people. But they just weren't in harmony with where we thought we were going as a church. So, and we began the work back then to bring everything into focus and moving in the same direction. So, we have an adult education ministry. And that kind of manifests itself in the classes we have up here and downstairs on Sunday. Sometimes we have a couple lectures, but we've got a video-driven class up here and a, a, a book of the Bible class downstairs. Both of those are designed to inform and equip. They're designed to challenge us on, on how we function as a body and how we function when we go outside. We have a women's ministry. that They've got a Tuesday morning Bible study and a Wednesday night Bible study. And the curriculums on those are chosen very carefully to make sure they're in harmony with who we are. But they're designed to do the same thing. They're designed to edify, sometimes heal because sometimes we're broken. Sometimes to bring us in and equip us. Sometimes to challenge us. We try to get a mixture of those things in there. And both the adult education and the women's ministry are absolutely vital to who we are. The men's ministry is the same way. We have a Wednesday night men's ministry. They're about to finish up the book of Revelation, Pat Newt's letter for us. And that was a little bit of a challenge. But there's opportunity for relationship to develop there. There's opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into the Bible. There's opportunity for an exchange of ideas. We've got the conference coming up, an opportunity for relationship and fellowship and teaching. We have a youth ministry that's built on the same foundation. They meet on Wednesday nights. They come together on Sunday mornings. They have service projects. They have study. They have fellowship opportunities. But it's all designed for the youth to understand that they're part of the body of Christ as well. You probably have noticed that we've had some young people join us on the worship team. Today, they took the collection. Do you know why that happens? It wasn't just that we thought it would be great to have the kids. It's because those kids are part of the body of Christ. They have a vital role to play in the body of Christ. Because they're younger doesn't mean that their gift is any less important. They're our brothers and sisters, not just our kids. So we made a decision back in 2006 that we would bring the kids into the service, sixth grade and up, so that they could learn how to be part of the church. Instead of saying to them, look, you got a room over there, go over there, you got a teacher, he's breaking eggs on plastic, and, and you do your own thing over there, and when you're 18 years old, then you come in here and join us. No, 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 we're going to bring them in earlier, we're going to show them how to listen to a sermon, we're going to show them how to participate in the body of Christ, so that when they turn 18 years old, they understand that this is their church home. They understand where we're going with that. They are precious and capable, aren't they? 
We've seen some pretty neat things with the worship team. There are children's ministry. I mean, starting in the nursery, Sunday school at 10 o'clock on Sundays, the, the children's church at 11 o'clock, this increasing involvement. All of that is designed to put a foundation of the Word of God underneath them so that they understand what happens when they walk into this sanctuary in the sixth grade. We, how many of you are familiar with the Love to Be Me ministry? Do you know why we have, yeah, and this is a ministry, if you're not familiar with, this is a ministry to the adult uh, special needs family we have. Do you know why we have that ministry? They're part of the body of Christ too. They have a unique gift to offer. They are our brothers and sisters. It's no accident they're here. God placed them here. No, we have Nathan Sherrill that comes in here on Tuesday afternoons. He's been coming in for over two years. And Nathan's become part of the staff. He's got a list of duties that's ever expanding. He comes in, he says, hello. We say hello. We have a little bit of exchange on that. And he's a precious brother in Christ. Nobody's less important. Nobody is less equipped. God's designed all of this, and we want to conform to that design. We've got a, we've got a missions team. They reach out overseas. They, they, they reach out locally. We're not just looking at missions or, or way far away to people we don't know. They're right here in town as well. We have a deacon uh, board, you know, and I've got to be honest with you. What the deacons do are not always evident, maybe more evident than you think. Uh, you walk in when it snows, the, the sidewalk is shoveled. A deacon did that. We got communion set up. A deacon did that. They do mercy. They do benevolence ministries. They do service around the church. We don't always see it, but boy, they're there. They're serving this community so that this community can serve the bigger community. We've got a hospitality team to greet new people. There's a process they go through. We have greeters standing at the doors. We have connect groups during the week so that you can sit down and go a little bit deeper with the Word of God and get to know people a little bit better. If you're not part of a connect group, you ought to be part of one. And we have the Sunday morning assembly. We have this, where the body of Christ comes together with all of their gifts and all of their, their flaws and all of, all of the things that they have to offer and worships God together. It's the high point of the week. It's the assembly. We're not here to have a private experience in worship with our Father. We are here to worship with our brothers and sisters and everything that we do from the moment that we walk in until the moment we walk out is an act of worship. It's what nourishes us. It's what sustains us. It's what heals us when we're hurting. Being together. Looking at that expression of unity that we have with Christ and with each other. And over all that, we have the elder board. <laughs> the elder board are the ones who have determined what these ministries will do, how they will do it, what curriculums are taught, what I teach here on Sunday morning overseers that understand the spiritual responsibility they have to each one of you. That's us. That's Warrington Bible Fellowship. And now we have some new ministries. 
We decided to go beyond the walls. We decided that, that God has given us all of these things, not so that we can come in here and enjoy ourselves, but so that we could be out there inviting the lost to come in, sharing the gospel with people who desperately need it. So we have stories in the park, a gospel proclamation to the com community. We have the ministry down at the shelter. If you haven't been down there, you ought to go. There are people just like you and me down there that need help. And to just sit and talk to them is an incredible experience and hear their heart and realize there's nothing wrong with them. We've got the CareNet ministry. We're an ambassador church. Holly's teaching a class down here trying to help uh, young expectant mothers walk into motherhood and walk through the early stages of it, showing them that the church cares. There will be more. There will be more. We got the Warrington Gospel Partnership where we partner with churches that may not always think exactly the same way we do but love the gospel just as much as we do. In order for all this to work, it depends on you. It depends on you. Being actively involved in one or more of the ministries, encouraging each other, lifting each other up, praying for each other, tithing to us, participating in some fashion. Now listen carefully. We're not all going to go do stories in the park. But we're all going to have part of the ministry of Warrington Bible Fellowship because God's put us together. So what, what we all do is not going to look like what everybody else does. Maybe some of you are just going to pray. Maybe some of you are just going to encourage. But whatever gift God's given you, is meant to be expressed here in the body. Meant to be expressed together. So as an expression of the unity we have in Christ, we don't have to work for this unity, brothers and sisters. We have it. All we have to do is learn how to walk in it. So we're going to spend this month learning how to walk in it. This, this month is a month of prayer, fasting, and vision. So, yeah, now I'm going to ask you all to start praying in about three minutes. <laughs> okay? Uh, so, I, and I know, you know, we, we have, I, let, me, let me qualify some of what I've shared with you with this here. As a church, we are blessed in the area of participation. So, it, I, I talked to a lot of the other pastors in town our level of participation is high. And praise God for that. Amen? Okay? It can be higher. So we're going to learn the things that we can do together to participate as a body. And one of them is pray. So some of you are going to pray at home. That's fantastic. But as we close each service in February, we're going to pray together. We'll have corporate prayer today. Next week, we'll have prayer throughout the sanctuary and downstairs in small groups. The deacons and the elders will help us with that. Uh, the week after, we'll have prayer in small groups. And then the third week, we'll have corporate prayer again, the, the 24th. 
So we're going to pray, and we are going to fast. I need to let that sink in for a second, because I know that scares some of you. <laughs> okay? Uh, we have a, a handout for fasting. Can I get the deacons to hand those out? Uh, I'd like everybody to take one. Uh, don't be confused. It looks just like the bulletin. That's my fault. But there are a number of different ways to fast. And when I talk about fasting, we immediately start thinking about not eating food. That's a good way to fast. Uh, but not everybody can do that. So there are a variety of ways we can fast. Um, I will tell you this, that the staff and the elders uh, started fasting two weeks ago. Uh, we would never ask you to do something we haven't done. And as I embarked on my fast, uh, I had to stop and think, I, I find it easy to fast food. Generally, when I'm fasting food, I'll do a juice fast. I'll do some sort of vegetable drink so I can get some nutrients in. But I get a day and a half into a juice fast, and I'm kind of good. So I wanted to look at something that was going to be a challenge. And I had to examine my day carefully. And I realized that every day I spend an hour to an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, with casual reading and watching videos, maybe a TV show, maybe something on YouTube, maybe I, you ever get stuck in that thing on Facebook where you're watching video after video after video, and you know, like two hours later, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> I've seen a bunch of kittens. Okay, but I, I enjoy that. For me, it kind of helps me clear my mind, and I decided last week that I would fast casual reading and videos, and, and so it's not just that you want to avoid something during your day. It's you want to take the time that you would indulge in that activity or eating that food and pray and read the word and spend some time with the Lord. So the challenge is not just to deprive yourself, but to redirect your energies and your resources towards a deeper walk with the Lord. Uh, so there are a lot of different ways you can do this. You, you can do it with food. Uh, I mean, there's even a different variety of food fasts you can do. There's a thing called the Daniel Fast in your handout right there, which I think is absolutely fascinating. It's not only... Uh, spiritually healthy, but it's physically healthy for you. Uh, but you can fast social media, you can fast your phone, you can fast any number of things. Now, whatever you pick, it needs to be a sacrifice. So if you hate asparagus, you can't fast asparagus. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not eating asparagus for the next three weeks. Yeah, well, thank you very much. How much did you have yesterday? Oh. So it's got to be something that you can sacrifice in exchange for time with the Lord, time in his word. And so I found out that the challenge was when I would grab that novel to read to say, no, wait a minute. I'm going. Now, I started playing with, with all this in my head. You know how we justify things? Because the first day I thought, oh, fast only lasted from sunup to sundown, right? Because I'm looking for ways to get beyond it. So it, it, it takes some discipline. It takes some commitment. So I'm going to ask you to do this. And the way we're going to do this is this week, we're going to do this. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it on Wednesday. So you've got a couple days to pray about what you're going to fast. And when you get up Wednesday morning, you're going to begin your fast as we all begin ours. We'll send a devotion out. There'll be something on the website. There'll be an email that goes out. Read your email when it comes in. So there'll be a verse in there and a short encouragement to participate in this. So the first week is Wednesday. The second week, we will do this on Tuesday and Wednesday together. 
the third week, we will do this on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And we have a particular challenge for you on Sunday the 24th, because on the third day of your fast, we're going to have a chili cook-off. <laughs> well, we're going to break our fast together after the second service on Sunday, February the 24th. Now, the challenge is that you're going to walk in here for the service, and you're going to smell chili cooking downstairs. And you're going to have to wait for it. <laughs> okay? So... We're better together. This is something that we can do together as an expression of the unity that Christ has given us. Now, as we're doing the fasting, as we're devoting ourselves to this, and we're meditating upon uh, our relationship with the Lord individually and corporately, we're going to pray for vision. Now, we're not looking for a new vision for the church. We already know where we're headed. What we're looking for is a vision for how, brothers and sisters, we fit together. What has God given each of us in this effort that he's put us? You know, he's put us in the center of town. He's put us in the center of town. We are, if you take a look at the map, we're actually right about where the heart of the town would be. So we have a unique position here. And I got to believe that that's with purpose and direction that God has done this. And he wants us all working together for the call of uh, pursuing holiness and proclaiming the gospel. So prayer, fasting, and vision all month. And we're, we're going to start this right now. Um, let me explain. You know, I, I, I talked about World War II and D-Day. The reason that that invasion was successful was not just the sacrifice that those men on the front line made. It was the movement of an entire nation. I mean, by 1942, you couldn't buy a tire anywhere. Rubber was being rationed. Fuel was being rationed. Everybody was making a sacrifice. All of the automobile factories were turned over to making tanks and airplanes and guns and, and the weapons of war. So by the time those, those, those infantrymen hit the beachhead, they had the entire nation of the United States behind them, and we had all worked together to get them there. That's us. That's us. We're all working together to be an example of the gospel to a community that needs to hear it.